Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And I want to stop starting the podcast like this. I do too. I don't like it. Can we just be talking? Yeah, because it's weird to say my name. Is that strange? I feel like it always weirdly worded in my mouth. I feel like we have to... I'll, I'll, let's revisit that sometime but I feel like we have to say our names or people aren't going to know who's talking and let's be honest you and I don't always know who's talking when we listen back yeah we're like a hundred and something epi- no wait how many episodes a mm-hmm, hundred I mean I want to think this is 104 I don't think we can change it now I, I'm sorry we can't change it now so I'm just gonna have to awkwardly keep saying <gasps> dra <laughs> well that's we can introduce uncle, each other that's how my uncle Bob always said my name when I was growing up Deja. I don't know why. Well, how do you, how are you supposed to say it? Not like that, but also not the way I say it. It's like, I can't form the DR sound well, and it just sounds mumbled and jumbled. Deidre. That's funny. I always think I say my my name wrong too. Because some people would say Megan. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I I don't know. I, we can introduce each other. Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm here with Deidre. And I'm with... Megan. <laughs> that was precious. Okay. What are we talking about today, Deidre? Me or Julie Mason are starting with nines this week, and we're going to work our way down to ones as we really get into what the subtypes look like for each Enneagram type. So instinctual subtypes. Here we go. Type nine. Oh, so to recap, just real blanket, but this is not a good recap. So please go back and listen to episode 103 where we talk about this and break it down. Um, but the quickest recap we can say is that there are three subtypes for all nine numbers, meaning there are 27 subtypes in the Enneagram. And they are based around the three instincts, which are self-preservation, social, and sexual. And we break down what all of those mean in episode 103. That's right. All right. So now we're going to talk about each of those three instincts as the subtypes for Enneagram nines. Right. So we know that the passion for nines is sloth. So when that passion of sloth kind of marries into those instincts, you get self-preservation nine, social nines, or sexual nines. So let's start with self-preservation nines. I am just going to tell myself because I was so ready with your Instagram (laughs) series pulled up, by the way, shameless plug at Enneagram Megan is a great resource for this. And then I started reading it and realized that it was the holiday thing for nine. So not the right series, just found it. I'm ready to go. (laughs) I'm ready. You should tell us, uh, you should tell us about self-preservation nines. Well, what should I tell us? You can use my bullet points on the Instagram because I already broke it down for you. All right. Well, self-preservation nines are numb to life's complications. They're very practical, but have difficulty with self-care and they prefer to keep life comfortable. You don't want to expound on that? (laughs) (laughs) Would you like me to talk further? I'm just kidding. No, um, I think no, I like- really appreciate how we're setting ourselves up as the experts in this today. From the very <laughs> get go, we can't even figure out how we want to say our names. It's fine. Everybody keep listening. It's because we don't know how to say our own names. It's like not knowing your own phone number. You don't ever have to call it. Well, yeah. I mean, I do know my own phone number. You do have to write it a lot, it feels like, or type it. That's true. So self-preservation, we know this from last week. Um, it's kind of the one where they are focused on those three zones of like 
resources, home and health, right? So it's kind of like, what do I need to do to preserve my own life? So that self-preservation type for all nine types tend to slightly be more introverted maybe. Um, We know that any number can be introverted and any number can be extroverted, but the self-preservation types, especially for nine, tends to be slightly more introverted. They are the ones that are going to a little bit stick to themselves a little bit more and kind of want that solitude um, and go at their own pace. Although I would say that's probably true of all nines. Uh, they do have problems with uh, self, uh, self-care because nines tend to not, um, what's the word, like prioritize themselves in general, I would say. So even the self-preservation nines, it's not going to be as focused on self-care. It's going to be more focused on like sticking to oneself with like their energy, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, that they are the ones. What? Referring to keep life comfortable, I think is interesting too, because I can see that as a self-preservation technique, because if you get outside of what is known and comfortable and maybe even somewhat predictable, there is the potential for chaos or conflict or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And so that kind of makes sense that they would be more preserving of their energy and their uh, peace. Yeah. So they're the ones who are most hesitant to try new things. They're going to like kind of stick to the routines and the ruts that they know, um, even if it's not fun for them anymore, because it's like the familiar thing. Yeah. That's good. Um, The paper that I think I mentioned this last week is uh, by... Hudson, he breaks each subtype into like what they're named, um, according to either Claude Naranjo, who kind of broke down subtypes at one point, and then what he decided to rename them to try to be more accurate. So I'm going to give both of those names for each of the subtypes, just okay. to see if people can find themselves in one. Or is that is that too much information? No, or? let's do it. I feel like it's okay. more nuance. So Naranjo, and I guess I'm saying that right, but I don't actually know. Um, he called self-preservation nines appetite and the appetite refers to that like narcotization, which we know that nines use in self-defense. Um, that is the self-preservation nines are going to do that numbing a lot more. Yeah. Whereas Hudson chose to call the self-preservation nine, the comfort seeker. Oh, that, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Hudson's names better, but I'm going to throw the around home ones in there too, just so you can kind of see what he took and then tweaked. Okay. So the self-preservation is the comfort seeker. Mm-hmm. Now the social why don't you give us those two names first and then I'll read your captions, your bullet point. Okay. Uh, Naranjo called the social nines the um, participation. And that's about deciding what to participate in and it was, whether it was worth it. Okay. And then Hudson calls social nines one happy family because it's all about inclusivity. Okay. So your points on them is they are the counter type of a nine. They numb to what they really want socially by blending into groups and they're externally engaged, but internally aloof. So in other words, they kind of numb by being social and they numb right. by being in groups. And it's really important because you said the first thing you said was that they're the counter type. Yeah. Every single Enneagram number has a subtype that is called the counter type. And what that means is that the behavior like kind of displays in that subtype so differently than you might intuit that number to act like. And it looks like the opposite of what you would think that number would be. So the social nine as the counter type, they really resemble maybe a three, maybe a seven, um, maybe a two, because they're so social, they can be really outgoing, really positive, 
always doing something. They're not like the ones you think of like numbing, like a self-preservation nine of laying on the couch. They're the ones doing something, but it's to where they are kind of rejecting what their own knowing is for themselves in order to kind of meet the agendas of other people. Mm, That's good. All right. So the sexual or the one-to-one, and we decided to go with sexual for our terms here, Mm -hmm. they numb to what they want in energy and attraction. They're torn between a need for space and a need to merge. And they're both expressive and creative. So what are their names? Naranjo calls the sexual nine union and Hudson calls them merging. And those are pretty similar. So they're the ones who can kind of really do that fusion. Well, they want that autonomy, but they, they can go and do that, like that fusion really well because they can lose themselves in that, that person or that partner. Um, their the sexual energy that they have kind of comes out more in like a fantasy kind of life, like, like really imaginative that, you know, etherealness, um, they can be mistaken for fours a lot of the time. And I feel like there have been multiple times when I've been like, maybe I'm a nine, maybe I'm this subtype (laughs) and you're like, no, you're not. But, um, (laughs) there is a similar in energy between, um, that between the sexual nines and maybe what a four would bring in terms of imagination and creativity. Okay. So give us really quickly Hudson's names for all three of those. The self-pres was comfort seeker, the social, one happy family, and the sexual merging. Okay. It's a nice little recap. Let's see if any of our nines relate to any of those. Okay. And And this is still the 30,000 foot view. I would like to say that there is so much to dig into here. And just like with everything, there are ways to see yourself in the one you're dominant in and also ways to kind of discover yourself in the one that is more repressed. So in our last episode, we did talk about some of those keys to look for to help you discover Mm -hmm. that. Are we ready for Enneagram 8? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Self-preservation. I'm we're, we're really working off of all of Megan's research. I just want to give you kudos for that. So we're just alternating. <laughs> so I'm going to read your meme <laughs> for the self-preservation. <laughs> Here's the bullet points for an Enneagram eight. Have a lust for hard work and security. Express love by taking care of practical needs. They're highly pragmatic and no nonsense. And while I think that describes all eights in some sense, I think it's where that focus is like all eights focus on power and control. All eights have that passion of lust, but the self-preservation eights are really pairing like that passion of lust into those self-preservation zones, right? Like what their focus is going to be is how do I maintain control then in my health and my resources in my home? Right. Yeah. Um, of all eights, self-preservation eights are the most likely to be the introverts, um, Probably there's not a lot of eights out there that are introverted, but if they are, they're more likely to be self-preservation ones. They need that. They need more alone time and private time than maybe other eights do. Mm-hmm. Um, Naran Ho called the self-preservation eights satisfactory survival, which kind of highlights the the practicality of what they are going for and the pragmatism of it. Hudson calls them the survivor. Mm. So we always teach about eights as like wanting that lust for expansion. And these eights are going to be the ones who want to, that lust for expansion is really going to be in a smaller space, actually. So instead of going and conquering the world, they're going to conquer everything they need to ensure their own survival. 
That's interesting because we had an aide at one of our trainings who was after they learned about Enneagram fives, they were like, I think that's me. And um, some of this would kind of make sense because fives are focused on resources and, and their own survival, survival gathering what own. they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it didn't play out for the eight because of some of the other factors just in their stance and um, you know, that core fear kind of stuff, but this would make sense. And this is why I sometimes do get important because sometimes we are mistyping because we're like, well, I relate to the motivation here or the fear here, but all of this sounds like me and it could be the subtype. It could explain that. Right. So generally there's always one subtype that is like the stereotype of that number. Right. And that's kind of what we teach to. Um, And then there's always the one that's the counter type. And then there's one like this one that's like, okay, I can see why this makes sense for an eight, but also they could look really different from an eight standing next to them. Yeah. Well, speaking of counter types, good segue. Mm-hmm. The counter type in eights is the social. Uh, they have a lust for control in the social sphere and they create intense bonds of trust and loyalty with others. Right. We think of eights as kind of being like just the ones in control and maybe they don't need anyone, but the social eight is going to look a little bit different because they want they want the connection. They want the people around them. They, they want to be in control of what it looks like, but yeah. they want that connection and that contribution. Um, so, well, okay. Um, I'll tell you. Naranjo called them friendship and Hudson calls them gusto and camaraderie, which <laughs> I, I really like that. <laughs> I don't appreciate any of these names and the fact that they're not making a nice like parallel. parallel. Yeah. Some are adjectives, some are nouns. I know. Some are whole phrases. <laughs> right? I didn't name any of them, so I, that's I'm why. Judging you. I'm <laughs> judging them, but I'm not judging you. Um, these social aids are the most likely to maybe open up to vulnerability um, slightly more easily. Like, yeah, all aids can, especially with growth and, you know, and when they can trust people, but of all of the eights, these are the ones who are going to do that a little bit more because they have that desire for connection. That's so strong in them. Mm. That's good. All right. And the sexual eights have a lust for energy and attraction. They're drawn to experience and fusion with others. They're possessive and dominant in relationships. What do we call them? Uh, Naranjo calls them the possessiveness and Hudson calls them taking charge. Mm. <laughs> so these might be more of the stereotypical, like big, aggressive eight out. energy. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, we're, they're the ones who walk into a room and you know, they exist and they're like the too much and the big energy and all of the, the charisma, all of that. Yeah. I think some of these, um, the more typical ones are going to be where we get like our talk styles from. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. That's funny. All right. Do we have anything more to say about eights? Well, let's run through those names when we're talking, just the Hudson names for self-pres, mm-hmm. social, and sexual. Self-pres eight is the survivor. Social eight is gusto and camaraderie. I just like saying that one. And the sexual eight is taking charge. Cool. All right. Enneagram seven. This is fun. Let's, this is fun. Okay. So... Our self-preservation sevens uh, use gluttony to acquire comforts for survival. They're hardworking, but understand self-care. They are more anxious than other sevens, which I think is interesting because seven, I actually heard a seven speaking on a podcast recently, 
and they are in the head fear triad. Mm -hmm. We don't often see fear playing out for them in the way that we would think. So it's interesting that the self-pres is maybe where that anxiety part of the fear, uh, it shows up a little bit more. What do we call them? I think all sevens are still a little bit driven by managing fear, but so different from a six because they just assume that it's all going to work out a little bit. And it's where the self-preservation sevens come in where it almost like it has a hold on them a little bit more than maybe the other subtypes. Yeah. I think like we don't always see it in a seven, even though that's a driving factor. Um, Okay. There's like four names listed here for the self-pres sevens. Naranjo calls them the defenders. And what Hudson says is this is one of the strangest and most obscure names and it doesn't make any sense. So we're going to ignore that one. So he likes Helen Palmer's name for them, which is uh, the Epicure, but Hudson calls them getting mine or worldly wise. So he even presents too. Interesting. (laughs) I like getting mine. (laughs) It's kind of fun. Like they know what they want and they do what's necessary to get it. Yeah. Well, when, when you feel like your life depends on being filled with something and if that something is comfort, then you're going to go after Mm -hmm. it. Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so the social is the counter type of a seven. Um, they, and that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? I was surprised by that, but I guess it could make sense for the sexual to have that attraction kind of factor. So, but yeah, I would have thought the social was the seventh, (laughs) but when you break it down, it's that gluttony for more involvement and connection, which kind of makes sense because a lot of sevens don't really want to get, they want to have lots of options open and not maybe get stuck Mm -hmm. in a rut. Um, they also have a strong idealistic streak for reformation, which is kind of cool. Um, Naranjo calls the social seven sacrifice and kind of points to that altruism of wanting to contribute. And that's really that participation contribution zone of social is really where social seven spend a lot of their energy because they are probably more aware of others feelings and what their impact is in a, in a group than other sevens would be. Uh, what Hudson calls the social seven is basically missing out or even FOMO. He says, Okay. They're they're the ones that have that fear of missing out. Like, and probably that's why they like to keep options open. It's like, I want to be here, but is there something I'm missing out on? And so it's not like, I don't want to get trapped into a situation. It's more like it's where it's the best situation I can get trapped into. (laughs) That's good. Okay. So what let's, let's compare that. And also I want to point out again, you made the note last time that is the way these instincts pair with our vice or passion mm-hmm. or sin, whatever we want to call it. And so you notice like all of these start with gluttony because for a seven, that's, you know, something they're dealing with. So for the sexual, it's the gluttony for more excitement and experiences. It mm-hmm. can be reckless and adventurous. Uh, they're charismatic and confident. So yeah, I would say that's kind of our more typical, what I would picture a seven in a stereotypical way. What do we call them though? Are they the fun ones? The adventurers? <laughs> uh, Kind of. Naranjo calls them fascination. What? Um, and I his names. What? I know. Well, what this would be the adventurer, right? <laughs> Hudson calls them the neophile. And he said, I made that word up, but it means the lover of anything new. They seek the novel in every experience. That's cool. I like that. I do too. But neophile sounds like they are like, a. I don't know, it's too close to other things that end with file that are creepy. So I don't really love that. 
like they have an issue that needs a therapist for <laughs> no lover, lover of, of all, all new yes let's do that let's say that so they're, they're the, the ones they're the ones that that passion of gluttony plays out and how like we teach about it like they want the new they want whatever's good they want better they want that kind of thing they don't care about the comfort they just want to experience it that's fun all right. So real quickly run through just whichever names you like best. <laughs> each of those. We have a lot for the sevens. So, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Self-pres sevens. We're going to call them getting mine and the social seven. We're going to call them FOMO and the sexual seven. We'll call the neophile lover of new. <laughs> I feel like it's funny that there's just too many options for sevens. <laughs> that is really, really accurate like yeah. that's funny um one of the things that well let's do one more before we wrap up and then we'll review okay. like the counter type for each one because I think that's kind of an important one to remember so <laughs> why don't we do sixes before we call it a day on today's podcast and then we'll finish the right. next, next week okay okay so the self-preservation six is anxious about self insecurity they're responsible and practical, and they stay connected through supporting others. Kind of sounds like what I would picture a six to be. Mm -hmm. Very focused on self-preservation. Yeah, I think this would be like the, the typical one that we would teach to, right? Like, it's like, I'm worried about, do I have everything I need? Do I have the security? Do I have safety? Do I have stability? Am I going to yeah. look like I'm unprepared for whatever comes my way? Yeah. Naranjo calls the self-preservation six affection. Um, but it's weird because like, he disagrees with it. Basically Hudson's like, I don't see that. So he thinks that Neuron who actually mixed up self-preservation and social. And he actually goes on this whole like tirade about that, which is really funny to me. <laughs> so he calls the self-preservation six responsibility. And I think that makes sense. Like I'm going to be responsible to take care of what I need to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, if you can't tell, we don't really like Naranjo's names for the most part, <laughs> but we're giving a historical context here in case you they see are. Well, he and Helen Palmer um, and Beatrice Chestnut were kind of the first to really break into what the subtypes were. And they all kind of view it a little bit differently. What I like about Hudson is that he takes all of that and kind of like merges it together and brings it into some cohesive research then. And then based on what they all said, kind of renames based on that he distills it down to something in the, in 2022 that we can get on board with. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Uh, the social six is anxious about social situations. They connect to create safe spaces for self and others. And they're suspicious of outsiders. And it's so funny as I'm reading some of these, because I can, I literally have people to attach to each of these names, but that's great. These subtypes make it make sense. Like when we talk about phobic and counterphobic sixes, yeah. like why some people are phobic about maybe power and control kinds of situations. Like actual counterphobic harm. Yeah. Right. But they're totally counterphobic and social or vice versa. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, maybe it's because of their subtype. Maybe they're not, it's not just a counterphobic phobic continuum. Maybe it literally has to do with which subtype they are um, because the social six they're they're going to be way more counterphobic in social situations i mean yeah. phobic in si social situations right yeah. um naranjo calls them duty and that's where he said no that's what a self-preservation is so probably these are the um what naranjo meant to call them more affection mm. 
we're going to ignore Naranjo's names here though. And people are like, okay, then stop telling us this. Sorry. Um, what Hudson calls social sixes are engaging support because they need people for support. They don't need people as much for that kind of connection and everything like that. Like they recognize they need people, but it's so hard to trust. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right. And the counter type is the sexual six. Um, and again, they're probably going to look more like, um, they're going to look like an eight or sometimes even like a four, depending because of that, like putting themselves out there. Yeah. So they're very motivated to overcome anxiety and they find security in energy rather than structures. So Mm -hmm. a little different than a normal, uh, stereotypical six. Naranjo calls the sexual six strength and beauty. Um, but Hudson calls them, which is similar kind of feisty vulnerability. So like they have that vulnerability, but it's going to be more in that counterphobic feistiness. Um, (laughs) so they kind of cultivate and, and, and they tend to, um, they even talks about like gender roles here. Like the sexual sixes tend to kind of flip gender roles a little bit, like kind of play with them a little bit more than maybe other types and subtypes do. Like those sexual six who are women might be more tomboyish and the men might be more feminine, that kind of thing, which is interesting because I haven't heard anyone really break that down according to types and subtypes before. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, um, so this, let's just do those bullet point names, whichever one you like best mm-hmm. for a six self-pres. That would be responsibility. Okay. Social. Engaging support. And the sexual. Feisty vulnerability. All right. So the the six that is the counter type is the feisty vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I'm going to test you here. The seven that is the counter type is the social seven. And we call them FOMO, I believe. Yep. Fear of missing out. <clears throat> Maybe I'm quizzing myself. Um, the Good. counter type for an eight is social. And we call them, I don't remember. Oh, for crying out loud. Some kind of emotion. You really are testing me. Gusto and camaraderie. Gusto and camaraderie. And the last one is the counter type for nines is the social Social. as well. One happy family. One happy family is the counter type for nines because they look much more social and um, busy. It's interesting that of the four numbers we broke down today, three of them, their counter types are in the social realm. Yeah, that is interesting. It doesn't go- come like that, though. Like, as we keep going, we'll see some self-pres that are the countertypes. We'll see some more sexual that are the countertypes. Yeah. It really depends on the number, but all three can be a countertype. I have, like, a way in my head to remember how triads are grouped and stances are grouped. Um, I don't really have a way to remember some of these, so I'm going to have to work on that and creating, like, a visual in my head to connect things. I think it's because there's so many pieces of it. Mm-hmm. Like we know the three instincts and every yeah. number has those three, but I don't remember the three zones for each of the three instincts all the time. I don't remember the names for the three subtypes of every number. Well, there's just and two I don't, names. <laughs> well, there is that. Even if we just use Hudson's though, there's yeah. still 27 names to remember. Right. And I don't remember every time what the counter type is for the number either, because it yeah. changes between instincts depending on the number. Yeah. So you're right. It's it's hard to get it attached to it. And that's why I tried, I tried on my series to really break down where it says the three instincts. It has the which one is the counter type. I don't really talk about though the three zones on every single graphic, but I do on my intro post. 
Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that we would say is if you don't know your type, don't start here. Right. One of the things that's really good to know when you're just learning at the Enneagram in a whole is you really do need to have a pretty good handle on all nine types because otherwise you don't really understand the difference to use it in an, as an empathy tool, you know, a tool for compassion Mm -hmm. with others, a tool of understanding others. Uh, Again, this isn't a label to like box people in, but once you have like a good handle on that and you can kind of work, live this out on a, we know each other's types, we know each other's core fears and motivations and can have a lot of compassion, curiosity, empathy toward those things. Then the subtypes start to really explain our differences and some like behavioral motivating factors towards behavior. Um, because then we have, there's a different agenda attached to the core fear, right? There's a different mm-hmm. agenda attached to the, the belief that we have about our place in the world. And so I don't know that we have to understand all 27 to use this effectively. If you know your right. type, really drill down on that and really start to understand that yourself. And then maybe from there, start exploring people who are close to you. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot to take in like as a whole 27 thing. Yeah. I am not sure it's necessary to know all 27 in any, at any level. Honestly, I think if we just know that three instincts exist and this it's just helpful then when you're sitting in an Enneagram teaching, you're trying to figure out what your number is and you're going, I relate to the fear. I relate to the longing, but that is not how I act. Right. To go, oh, okay. But it's about the fear and the longing. You have to find your type based on that, not based on any of the other stereotypes or behavioral things that people will throw out there because it's, because the subtypes can help you understand that better. It's also important then if you go, oh, well, my sister said that she's a, this number and I swear that she is not. She, there's no way she's that. I've seen her in action. That is not her. Well, possibly you're right. Maybe she just doesn't know herself that well, or she is that number and is just a, the counter type or a different subtype than you would associate with that number. Yeah. So that would be a good reason then to dig in even for someone else to kind of sit with them and talk through that and figure it out. Yeah. Okay. This has been a lot. Um, <laughs> kind of heavy. Again, if you need visuals like I do, go to Enneagram Megan and look at her series on this. Um, her or dauntlessgrace.org. I'll put the graphics right on the website there with this podcast okay. link so that Perfect. people can see it there too. Perfect. And come back next week as we finish the last couple that we have. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.